no job worth $2 million a year. That's why they pay athletes these fantastic salaries. I was listening to the radio the other day. They just contracted to pay one, one player on one team $6 million a year. Can you believe this? And why is that? It's the Roman circus. What does the emperor do when the people become restive and when the people are asking questions and when the people don't like the policies of the emperor? He sends them to the circus. He creates a circus. He builds a giant coliseum. Then he begins to throw the Christians to the lions. He has great chariot races and football games and basketball games, all to keep the idiots preoccupied with things that don't mean anything in the scheme of the entire world so that they don't have the time to learn what the truth is so they don't ever get smart enough to learn how they're being manipulated so they don't ever question the emperor that's why they pay a player on a football team or a baseball team a million or two million or three million dollars a year it is the Roman circus Did you get a chance to meet with the royal family? And if not, how was it like having them there in the building? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? <laughs> the prince and princess of Wales. Oh, no, I did not. I'm only familiar with one royal family. I don't know too much about that one. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the foot, him, uh, foot, foot excuse me. Hope that into the future everyone will think about the impact of their words, but there is there is no comparison to inciting an erection, uh, an insurrection, uh, to, to anything else that, that we see. The Anthony Rogers Show. Welcome back to the greatest show ever. Um, Sean, we have a huge guest today. Have you seen Have you seen Back to the Future before? Absolutely, dude. What's it's your, what's your favorite? What's your favorite? What's um, which one's your favorite? Which which one of the three? I don't know. the the first The first two are are probably tied for me. Yeah, dude, that is true. Like, I think they're all good. I, I like the Western one too, man. But I think like two is probably my favorite, like the future one. And yeah. Uh, and, and if you're if you're watching at home and uh, you're about to see one of the biggest guests of all time, <laughs> uh, we got. George Fly, uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Weissman, how you doing, brother? Uh, <laughs> it's funny because like you could be anybody. It's like Kanye right now. It's like, having, like, 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 like you could be that could be Kanye West. You know, we don't know. And Crispin Glover. <laughs> no, I had a bunch of people ask me. They're like, uh, like uh, my buddy, I was like, yeah, I'm having the guy play George McFly. And they're like, they, they asked me the Chris McGlover story, like all that, like a million. That's like what comes up immediately. And I imagine you've been dealing with that for like 30 years. <laughs> like just like the like the same question over and over again. Like to tell that story and stuff. And it's like, uh, so for people like watching at home, like he played uh, George McFly in the second and the third one because uh, Chris McGlover went like nuts on like Letterman and like asked for too much money type thing. Probably a story you've been telling for like 30 years, I imagine. It's it's uh, all urban urban legends and myths and yeah there's it's a com it's a complex story um, and yeah I've been uh, just trying to uh, you know stay relevant now with with uh, all sorts of musicals and uh, 
different uh, merchandising and everything the you know every new generation discovers these films and and luckily you know at first when the part two came out uh they, they kind of kept me quiet because they didn't have the rights to the makeup that i used as 17 year old george that they put on me little did i know and didn't actually find out until crispin called me uh when part three came out and said you know it wasn't fair what they did to me i was like oh anyway huh. so you know he he uh it, I see. I see his side for not returning to do the sequels because of his star rising and him expecting. You know, I put these glasses on thinking you were going to be. You're usually in your glasses, Anthony. So we switched I, it I'll up. We switched. You're the you're now. the host now. You're the host actually, Jeffrey. Like now, I'm the host. Now. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Jeffrey. We showed up. Back on. Pizza, <laughs> pizza Hut gave these away. You know, with their pizza when the Back to the Future Part Two came out to celebrate cafe eighties. Um, That's awesome, man. I gotta say, it's weird here, here, no, uh, the guy that was in like the biggest movie of all time. Like, like well, the biggest trilogy of all time. Like, I'm just trying to stay relevant. I'm like, dude, you're, you're in history already. Like you're, you're like, a, like you're like, like in one of the biggest like trilogies of all time. Like the best one, in my opinion, the best American trilogy, in my opinion, I'd, I'd argue. Yeah. You don't think so. What do you think of back to the future? Like, what do you, like, what's your, what are your thoughts on back to the future? Oh, hell, you know, when, when uh, the first film came out, when they were shooting the first film in 84, I was shooting Pale Rider with Clint Eastwood. And I wanted to see what the competition was for the Western I'm in and heard about this film with Mike Fox and, and Chris Lloyd, who I was a big fan of both those guys. And, and there was Crispin, who I'd worked with on another film. I was like, wow, he's doing fantastic. Everyone was fantastic in it. That first film was brilliant. Imagine. And it you know, was the, the highest grossing film of 85. And luckily, Pale Rider, the Western, was the highest grossing Western of the 80s. So I was like, okay, this is cool. I, you know, even though the competition was was wonderful, um, I'm still in a film. And then, you know, four years, three or four years later, uh, when I was called to be uh, Crispin's photo double uh, or stand-in photo double, I don't know. I figured they needed George in two places at the same time. And then... As things progressed, uh, as I had to uh, meet with uh, the production staff and then do uh, prosthetic makeup fittings and body cast fittings for special effects, uh, I uh, was told that that Crispin was not returning to to do the film, and I was like, "How how is that possible? What the? How can you do it without him? You need him. He's fantastic. You know what the? And then." Uh, you know, I figured he had, since his star was rising, uh, he had another. Little did I know that he had been butting heads with production over his contract. But uh, how I feel about being in those films, I'm, of course, I'm honored. Some fantastic movies to be part of, incredible talent, both behind the camera and in front of the camera. I'm a very lucky man. And you know, it was awkward at first because I was the adopted person on set and, you know, they didn't know who I was. And that's why, you know, I kind of had to fight for my lines and bits and things that were in the script. Both two and three were in the same script. It was called Paradox. And I think they decided, well, we'll double our money. And if we make it two films, you know, it's kind of long as it is. So uh, I 
remember, especially in the McFly kitchen of 2015, uh, Zemeckis giving George's lines to Leah, uh, to Lorraine and, and Mike as, as uh, Marty. Uh, and I was like, hey, you guys, I can, I can deliver lines. I'm an actor. I can do this. So I got a few of the lines back. You know, we had um, really, really long days doing a lot of the special effects and everything. And it was it was a blast. And I'm honored to be a part of it, you know, and to be a part of history. But as an artist and as an actor, I want to keep working. And, uh, you know, with the pandemic and everything, it's been, it's been pretty hellish. Things are starting to trickle back. I keep myself amused with my toys. You know, people give me things like, you know, uh, Marty and Doc dolls that these came from uh, some people over in the UK that were and and one of the one of the guys who fabricates the uh, props for the Back to the Future musical presented me with my Ortholev a replica of the Ortholev control that it actually lights up. Can you see it lights up? Very cool. That is nice. Ian uh, Ian Robinson. Anyway, I you know I'm just uh, here playing with the toys. I so I had a fan make me. A George McFly of Back to the Future Part Two action figure. Oh, that's cool. That's I guess really he three cool. D printed it or something. If there's enough, uh, you know, enough demand, maybe maybe these guys who made made the George McFly that action figure that doesn't really look like Crispin or me. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a cross. Yeah, it's got to yeah. blend them. Anyway, so it's. Uh, yeah, I got a flux capacitor. Someone's asking, where's the flux capacitor? I do have one. I, I sometimes, you know, with this hair now, I, I play Doc Brown at events. I got, of course, a lot of people I know with Time Machine DeLoreans. And from time to time, they get rented for birthday parties and events. And and I'll come and, and put my Doc Brown glasses on and, Greg Scott! Oh! You know, do my Doc Brown. I got to make a living as an actor. It's it's not an easy life, as you probably know from all the actors you've had on your shows. Yeah, no, it seems it's funny because I think like your experience, like almost like like because it was like a weird way to be introduced to the, the trilogy, that like it limited like your your I mean it made you more humble probably, but like it limited like you from seeing how completely awesome this is. <laughs> like, I like I, I feel like if I was I, if I was in Back to the Future two in any way, I would just carry the movies around with me. I'm like I, I mean like you have the toys, I get it, but like. You you play Chris was only in one movie, man. You're in like you're in the second one and the third. Like that's crazy. Man. I'm just no, saying. He, he laid the groundwork for a fantastic character. You know, sure the Bob's wrote the character, but he he really found this odd timing with this guy who was so friggin' awkward. And uh, you know, uh, I think Bob Gale based the character on his his own dad, uh, who I met once before he passed away, and. And uh, you know what? What Crispin brought was this uh, quirkiness. This you and and he totally believed it. Of course, he had months and months to rehearse. You know, before uh, even Eric Stoltz came on the project, he was doing makeup tests. They they gave me to study his work, his makeup tests, and his uh, uh, different improvs that he did with Leah and and. So they, they developed the characters for weeks and weeks, and then they had six to eight weeks, whatever, of shooting with Eric Stoltz. And then they started over again. So they had a lot of rehearsal time. I came in, I came in at the 11th hour and was like, study these. You're on on Monday. And I was like, huh? <laughs> it's like, 
okay. Um, and and luckily, you know, I think Spielberg had seen me as Stanley Laurel at Universal Studios and uh, meeting with Zemeckis and doing a quick screen test in the makeup for uh, Robert Zemeckis and, and Dean Cundey. Um, I had the ability uh, to do down. I played Stanley Laurel and Groucho Marx and Charlie Chaplin at Universal Studios. If you went there with your family between 1987 and 2001 and had a photo with one of those characters, it might have been me. Um, and because I, I had that ability to kind of zone in and, and research and, and get down the physicalization and the vocalizations, you know, with, with Groucho Marx, you, you have as most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You know, you you find where the placement is in the throat with with Stanley Laurel. You know, he had I couldn't help it. You know, the different things that Stanley does, and Charlie, you know, try to stick to the Keystone era. Charlie, you find the kind of essence of what they're doing and uh, the tools that I have. And so with Crispin, I'd look for his his balance. He kind of leads with his head. And is and is very articulate with his hands. Uh, hey, you and the placement of the of the voice, you know. So for recreating, recreating uh, the enchantment under the sea dance, and the fight with Biff in the parking lot. A lot of people don't realize that's a different actor because they splice my work with his. And and that was one of the complaints that Chris has. Says you know, they that's not right that they cut me in with your work and they're not paying me, but diddly squat and i was like yeah that's not right <laughs> so uh it was um you know basically doing imitation to recreate so you thought it was seamless and i see where production was caught you know between a rock and a hard place here we have this actor making demands he's not the main character in this film his film was the first one this one part two is marty's story part three was doc's story so let's make him a lesser character you know in part three Seamus was supposed to be played by Crispin. And I remember even Bob Gale coming to me while I was hanging upside down and said, you know, for all this torture, you know, hanging upside down and the makeup and everything, we'll get, we'll find you something in part three uh, without the makeup, uh, which never materialized. Thanks, Bob. Uh, anyway, it's, it's uh, an yeah, honor. I think your experience is crazy, but like that, like that's such a, like, just a, that movie will be talked about in like a hundred years, man, or more. I mean, like, that, that's if, if we still have like media and stuff like that, that's gonna be that movie's like legacy probably at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's nice to be hopefully uh, you know leaving a legacy through whenever uh, how long civilization lasts that I'll I'll be right. seen, but but it won't be with my Two own. Two more face. years. <laughs> Two more years. <laughs> I don't know. It's, the U.S. is saying oh, the Russians. I was just reading before we came on live. Uh, the U.S. is putting pressure on Russia, not allowing us to check their their nuclear arsenal. Like what? <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> <laughs> two years. <laughs> two years. Depends on where you're for a long time. <laughs> so uh, I guess last time I was, uh, we talked about Twilight Zone movie, where I got cool. my co-star role. Love that and, movie. No, you're right. I love that movie, man. I don't know if we uh oh this is something cool i just got the guy who designed all the different contraptions in the teen hill valley for back to the future part two 
Edward, uh, he just sent me this, which is so cool. I don't know if you can see this. It, it's um, it's his sketches for the Ortholev that hung me upside down. Huh, that's crazy. Oh, nice. Because that was a good rule. I've got it, it, was, I've got it, it upside like, down. I think George would find the second one was good, man. You came in like with the pizza and stuff. I mean, that, like that was a, that was a. I still think that was a good role. I think you downplayed a lot. To me. Like that fucking that's a cool drawing. I'm saying like that role was good as hell. That was a good role, man. Like I, I think I, played, I would have been a lot better if I had more rehearsal. Uh, let me tell you, I I came up with bits. You killed it, man. Luckily. You killed it. Like what are you uh, talking about? You're the best was... movie, one of the best <laughs> movies of all time, and one of the best. That's crazy to be like you. Like you don't see that. Like I just want to fucking I want to I want to put a PowerPoint together and just show you how awesome that was. like that was literally like one of the best role like that was just one of the best movies like of, like probably of all time man it's like in my opinion I think that was like that whole trilogy is so well put together you played Future George with Five Killer bro like that was like You're a such butter me up I know uh, well you know what I think that some of my best stuff is in the deleted scenes if you look at Pizza which is a deleted scene uh, I was in a body What's cast and and I got to rotate for pizza i did my best crispin going for <laughs> with my golf swing you know you know the original versions of that scene i think i was looking at my script paradox and there's these rainbows uh, pages are in different colors for each rewrite and there's about six different colors in that scene alone because they didn't know if they had crispin or not and one of the versions Marty is in the ortholev hanging upside down because his back went out while playing squash or something. Yeah, you know, that's right. Because they didn't know what they had and what they were going to do, so they were on their toes with the writing and rewrites. And uh, and and you know, fruit please when the thing uh, comes down from the ceiling yeah, that Edward yeah, probably yeah. designed. Uh, there was one bit where we developed. I think it was late in the twenty-hour day. Uh, Lorraine says to Marlene. You know, uh, Mike Fox and Drag is as my granddaughter. Uh, give, give your grandfather a piece of fruit and fruit, please. And uh, she hands me a, a banana, and I eat the banana, but I'm hanging upside down, and the peel kept slapping me in the face. And it was a good comedy bit. I know Zemeckis liked it, but it didn't stay in. A little but, slapstick, uh, huh? Yeah, and that's what I, you know, I love doing comedy. I, I've been kind of, I've been told by my family. Very silly, very funny since I came out of the womb. But looks on everything. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Hey, hey. So, what what year did the the western that you were talking about that you shot with uh, Clint Eastwood? What what year did that come out in? Eighty five. Same year it, as the first Back to the Future movie. What crazy. did you say that? What did you say that was called again? Hell Rider. Hell Rider. Okay. Hell Rider. It's, it's, it's um, probably something I, that I've that I've seen. And just you know, don't remember because I used to watch westerns with my grandfather when when uh, I, I was pretty young in the eighties. But um, we used to watch westerns together quite a bit. I'll have to go revisit that one. Oh yeah, it's it's good. It's um, you know not as good I think as say Unforgiven. Um, but but a lot of people like it. Uh, yeah, a lot, of people, a lot of people love it. You know, let me see if I can uh, get them. It's a few photos of it to, to open here and share screen. What so was I, your what, what was your uh, character in that movie? Uh, I played uh, Teddy Conway. Um, 
one of Spider Conway's sons. Um, can you see the picture? Is it sharing? Hang on. Yeah, I think you got a setting. Yeah, bam. I just saw it coming on. Hopefully you can oh, see nice. this. Yeah. There's my, my character is talking to Clint. Um, Daddy's dead body is in the wagon here. Um, Michael Moriarty next to me and Chuck LaFont playing my, my brother. And, and Daddy's been shot from head to toe. And, and Clint's character is this mysterious ghost preacher that's come to help uh, these poor uh, miners who are being bullied. It's a, it's a morality tale. Uh, it, was, it was pretty well done. It, it was Clint's return to Westerns. I think he hadn't done a Western in like 10 years or something. And, and uh, oh, really? they'd been trying for many, many years to get him to do the, the script of Warner Brothers. Finally threw, obviously, enough money at him. This was uh, my character, Teddy, uh, witnessing Daddy's uh, being shot by the bad guys. We, we were in, uh, on the top of a mountain outside of Ketchum Sun Valley, Idaho, and had constant weather. Uh, with the wind chill, it was like 10 below all the time. Like right. We never wanted to leave the heaters inside the, the buildings to do our scenes because it was so cold. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm I have to cry in these scenes, and I, I literally I had the tears freezing in my eyes. <laughs> um, but if you look at Daddy's, uh, this is the character Spider who finds the big chunk of gold here. If you see that scene where he's he's shot, uh, he's in sunlight, and and we're in we're in a blizzard because it took us three days to shoot the one scene. Uh, but the editor it was so creative and so wonderful. You you can't tell there's much of a difference. And right. There's Clint on his beautiful horse. The horse unfortunately stepped into a gopher hole through the snow, and Clint broke his collarbone and was directing and acting in this with a broken collarbone. Oh wow! Um, this, this is my my character's kind of entrance first line in the movie to Michael Moriarty's character Hull Barrett. You go into town, ain't that kind of dumb? Anyway, it was it was uh, just a really lovely. Uh, thing for me to to play cowboy with Clint Eastwood, you know, nice co-star role. No, that's great, man. Westerns are 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 terrific. Uh, I was I was very honored. I was so uh, so excited to be a part of this film. Let me see if I can show you this because I don't want to. Um, this is totally worth uh, showing. So give me a second here. But so excited to um, be in this film that before it opened uh, in Hollywood, I was I was uh, noticing on the Sunset Strip that a, a billboard went up, and so I climbed the billboard. I don't know if that's showing on on your screen or not. Let's see. Let me see if one came out. Yeah, sorry, bro. There you go. It's up. Good. Uh, yeah, I I climbed the billboard, and there I am standing on the uh, poster for the film, the billboard <laughs> for it. Came. Nice. I've never seen that, man. That's cool as hell, man. I, that's cool. <laughs> how how uh, how high up was that billboard? What kind of a climb was that for you? I had to climb up uh, a, a restaurant. Uh, was that <laughs> Good Earth? Whatever the name of it was, uh, and then climb up the pole. Uh, you know, try to reach the ladder, and but you know, I was so excited. The momentum of the excitement got me. The adrenaline got me up there, and luckily, my girlfriend at the time you know, took that snap. Nice. 
That's a great photo, man. That's cool, man. That's cool, man. You, yeah, I mean, you were classic. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Sean. Go ahead. Uh, I was just saying that's a classic moment. That's cool. It's huge. It's a big moment. Yep. Dude, Saved by the Bell was big, too, I think, man. Like, you, you being in that was huge. I mean, I think. Uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I wasn't a regular or anything. Um, and is kind of a, a – it was a show that I, I didn't, uh, you know, watch very much. I thought it was kind of okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're being, I'll be honest with you. I'll you're be being gracious right now. Yeah, and, yeah. And when I got the audition and I read that it was um, to be Screech's guru, yeah, I was I like, that. oh, here's an opportunity for some comedy. And so I went to the audition and, you know, no holds barred. I'd had already um, these buck teeth made. And so I, I, I popped in these horrible teeth and, and uh, had the thick glasses. And, nice. and originally as, as Screech's guru, the high geek, uh, I had this bit where uh, – I, I had I wore a fez, and I take off the fez to give him the the key to happiness, the uh, the 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 retainer of magic, and uh, you know what happened was uh, Casey Kasem was the other guest star that that week, and Casey went to the producers and said, uh, mm, "Don't I don't like this guy using a fez." in his his routine i don't like so producer came over and said lose the fez i was like but that's the reveal because i'm doing the stanley laurel fright wig scene you know he's got his hair standing straight up underneath the fez and that reveal is the comedy no case casey doesn't want to, he's muslim it's offending him i was like okay so i uh make i go zap and make the magic retainer appear out of a spittoon that happened to be there on the set. And of course, you know, here, here, Dustin, put this retainer in your mouth. It's out of the spittoon. No, don't do that. Um, anyway, it was, it was nice to be on that set. Uh, Elizabeth uh, Hurley couldn't be, is that her name? Elizabeth Hurley? She, she couldn't be in this, in the, the episode that week because she had broken her legs on a skiing accident, but she was there. Uh, and the, the cast was very warm, very lovely. Um, and and it's just a shame that that Dustin has left us the way with his cancer just a few years ago. Um, nice kid. And and you know, yeah. I still get you know five or ten bucks a year from that episode. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, dude. That's like almost a Starbucks in L.A. <laughs> almost, or the dozen eggs. Yeah, there you go. Live it up. <laughs> Too bad uh, Casey Kasem had, had to throw his weight around on you like that. That's that's uh, no, I get it. If, 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 it's, if it's something that's sacred, uh, and, and you know, I'm I'm working hard to bring comedy to this otherwise material that might not be as funny. You know, I'm I'm ho I don't like to count on a laugh track. Uh, when when laugh tracks became a thing in the I think mid to late '60s. It, it, I found it insulting. It's it's producers not trusting that you know to laugh. So here, let's have you laugh here. You know, and, and often 
shows with live audiences, those are laugh tracks too. Um, I remember watching once a, a taping of, of Steve Martin early in his career doing a, it was either a Don Christian or rock concert, in concert, uh, Saturday night. Uh, it was it was a taping of a show. He had done a set with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band playing banjo, and then he came out and did his comedy. And he and he pissed off the audience. He uh, the, the audience was in for free. They were mostly you know teens and uh, cruisers from uh, Venice and Santa Monica and in L.A. at the Civic Auditorium. And he ha took a sip of water and said, stay and let go of it, which was very funny, but it crashed and splashed all over people in the front row and maybe some glass hit some folk too. And and he said, I'm gonna do, I just found out that my rich uncle left me $6 million. He died and left me all this money. I'm gonna do what I've always wanted to do to an audience. And he flipped everyone off, <laughs> which is very funny and edgy. On, but it had the reverse reaction to this audience who he had already pissed off with the water or whatever. And so, uh, you know, I was like, okay, Steve, how are you going to get out of this? And I was one of those people in the front going, let's see you work your way through it. And he didn't set a stand-up set, which was very good. And uh, I remember like two weeks later when it came on TV, I wanted to watch it. And sure enough, they put in a laugh track. <laughs> it was jokes. And in between the laugh track, you can hear people going, boo! <laughs> It was very revealing. Um, and, you know, hopefully Steve didn't do that anymore. I imagine that was an exercise for him over his jitters or on stage fright or whatever. Someone probably said, just, you know, like Sean Penn used to imagine the casting directors sitting on a toilet when he'd auditioned for them. You know, put them in their place. You'll get over your stage fright. Put them at a put yourself at a higher, I don't know, whatever, whatever technique. Anyway, where's That's the really guy? He's yeah. I had this guy doing. A, I had to answer that too. It was guy, this guy was like uh, doing a bunch of weird comedy next to me last week, like uh, just oh. like prop comedy. He's like he's like hanging himself like in a bunch. Of I stuff. can I can get on the couch. We'll have you we'll have you next time. It's the guy. Yeah, you could be know, the couch. Hanging yourself necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fly to fly to St. Louis. Bring your props and uh, this guy next week. Oh God! All right, let me. Just... <laughs> All right, I'm the couch guy. <laughs> I'm the couch guy next week. I can see you. There we go. Please start having auditions for the guy on the couch. Uh, Sean, are you going to keep doing these when you go on the road? I am. I'm yeah. just reading um, the. Yeah, I know. I saw that pop in the on the comments as well. I. I leave for, he's asking because I leave for um, mid next month and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do these. Um, although if I have an early show, um, which some Tuesdays can be a little bit earlier than normal, then I might have to go mid episode, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to knock them all out still. Are you a musician? Yeah. What, what do you play? That's the only reason I'm here. I, I have no other, uh, Notable <laughs> skills or talent. So, um, but yeah, I, he's, the, he's a co host that's more famous and successful than the host. Like, um, he's, he's what, in like a big rock band. What's your band? Mile Empty Soul, we're called. Milehead Diesel? Yes. 
<laughs> no, it's a smile, empty soul. It's it's a difficult one to understand and retain, but smile um, head diesel. Yes, I like that better. To be honest with you, uh, actually, you should probably start a band called that. Now, Sean, it's actually a pretty good. Your second band could be as good. I don't know. If it wasn't so hard to, to to get a brand going these days, I, I I'd, I'd adopt that. I'd switch to it. But oh, we've, we've already been doing the other one for twenty years, so we'll have to stick with it. We just got to give up twenty years of hard work and then uh, start completely fresh. And then yep. uh, it's not that it's not that big deal, right? No, no, it's not. I uh, <laughs> uh, I feel you. You know, I've I started a band too um, because I produced it fundraiser for for mike fox's parkinson's foundation on a cruise and on the last night we wanted to do our own enchantment under the sea dance and you know you got to have a band i had harry waters jr and don full love and uh, uh mark mcclure dave mcfly um, and so i put a band together called mr fusion and uh i don't know if you can see that um there we are playing doing you know johnny be good and Earth Angel and uh, Power of Love, and we had you know a pretty good, pretty good time on the cruise. Is that sharing? Yeah, it's up. Yeah, yeah, it just popped up. I I like the the disco light floor you got going on. That's great. Yeah, that was that was uh, Royal Caribbean. Let us do that on their their cruise line. We made some good money for Mike's uh, foundation, and but awesome. it's like Mr. Fusion. Uh, the name of the band, Mr. Fusion. I have to buy the uh, the address on the web, and then I got to promote it, and I and then everyone's got to meet their nut, uh, you know, money wise, and it's very expensive. And you know, I'm a kind of a struggling actor, and it, uh, you know, so I it's, had it's, the coach, coach made. And <laughs> it's it's difficult to you know um, create brand a new band. I mean, it's it's you know, it takes a lot. And, and, uh, my band was lucky, you know, when we signed our first record deal in the early two thousands, we got a, a good record deal back when rock was still, you know, kind of worth something. And, and the label that, that we were on put, you know, millions behind us and, and, and that got the, the name going and, and, uh, you know, like we couldn't, wouldn't have been able to do. So I, I probably won't change the name to Milehead uh, diesel, no, no, Smile Empty Soul is great. I think Smile Empty Soul is, is kind of dark. Is it appropriate for the music you play? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like dark, hard rock. Nice. Pretty pretty dark, yeah. It's, it's with like Joy Division or... Uh, let's see, no, I'm it's, trying to think. It's, it's, it's a little heavier than that. It's it's more like, uh, like 90s grunge influence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. I can sing for you. I, uh, dude, I can do please. vocal. Are, are you? That's all you're missing in your band right now, Sean. Is this guy? Like you need this? You need to get him. In, you need to get him with Ty right now. Like you, you him, and Ty. Next, next, next time we come through, are 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 you in LA, Jeffrey? Uh, no, I'm up in the mountains now, up uh, in uh, near Yosemite. Oh, okay. Well, next time we're in Northern California, we'll hit you up and, and come out and or, or let me guest, come guest to LA. vocals. LA is right, not too right. bad of a drive for me. Far out. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs>
Oh, my kids would love to see me do that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they with, uh, animals is, um, yeah. My, my uh, youngest son, Spencer's a great guitarist and, and he turns me on to bands all the time that play lightning fast or, you know, have such intense friggin' vocals and lyrics. And I'm just amazed. It's kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the, the young generation is into some, some interesting music these days. That's, that's for sure. When, when we were shooting back to the future two, uh, Mike, Michael Fox's, uh, wife, Tom Wilson's wife and my wife all gave birth to baby boys within two weeks of each other. Oh, wow. While we were shooting, while we were shooting as if we didn't have enough on our plate. <laughs> right. And and so and that was what eighty six you said, uh, eighty. We were shooting in eighty eight. Wow, because wow. it was oh, released in eighty nine. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so you got some. Yeah, part two in eighty nine and part three in uh, in ninety. Oh wow! Okay. While while we were shooting part two, or no, rather, while Zemeckis was shooting and beginning to shoot. Uh, part three, he was down flying every night from uh, the foothills of the Sierras down to LA to edit part two at night. And then he'd fly back to shoot part three in the morning. It was, it was crazy. I remember Michael uh, doing the last season of Family Ties during the day, and we'd only have him either at night or on the weekends. Damn, and I was sorry. like, Mike, when, when do you sleep, man? And he says, you know, in, in the limousines in between the studios. <laughs> that's the best answer. In the limousines, bro. That's, that's the best answer. <laughs> that's the, the, that's the best answer possible. Yeah. I was going to say, no, you, Mike, you got to – I'll give you this key to, to, to Biff's Pleasure Palace. You know, <laughs> here's some matches, man. You can sleep. It's right around the corner. You know, I got Tom Wilson to sign this one. Nice. So, so, uh, you, how many children do you have? That I know of? Yeah. Uh, I have two, uh, young men. You know, uh, Spencer is the same age as, uh, Mike's son, Sam. That, uh, what is that, 35 now? 30, 34, 34, I think. And, and Nicholas is 36. Anyway, they, okay. uh, and they'll probably be uh, getting grandchildren for me soon. You better get I on baby, that. I need to have we babies. Two to more years, dude. <laughs> Come on, I'm waiting. Where are the babies? <laughs> My hand is empty. What does this mean? Yep. Time is running out. But I still work, uh, you know, in independent films and and stage and environmental and living history. I I got to stay active during the pandemic. Uh, I was doing here uh, virtually with a group out of London with the cast from around the world. I did 12 night with them. And I also did uh, Doc Brown in a, in a version of Back to the Future as if Shakespeare had written it called Get Thee Back. And that's on YouTube. You can find that. Uh, the, the Show Must Go Online is the name of that group. And then I did a pandemic version of Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett playing Lucky. 
uh, and then I started working with a group called the Actors Gang, had an offshoot called the, the Cabinet of Oddities, where each week we'd get a, a different prompt, a different theme. And these actors from around the country, just fantastic talent, would come in and populate a Zoom in characters. And we'd do either a monologue or a song or a poem in the first hour. In the second hour, we'd be spotlit, you know, highlighted and put in scenes together and we'd improvise. And it was off the hook. It was often just incredible, really remarkable uh, creative outlets for all of us. It, it was us as actors being quarantined or, you know, locked down, being able to flex our muscles. And that was a real gift. And uh, and so I, I've just been cast production, stage production of Clue. I'll be playing three roles. And I've got a, an independent film called Siblings, where I play a very badly behaved patriarch of a family of very badly behaved children, grown children, um, that a buddy of mine wrote and did. And uh, very happy. Uh, it's it's kind of obscene, but going to be fun. Uh, so you know, I got to stay busy. I, uh, last time I was on your show, I had this giant mustache. You're playing Mark Twain in something, right? Right. I had just self-produced a proof of concept where I was uh, I wanted to do an educational series called Mark Twain's America, and before that, I had a beard as big as yours. No way. Yeah, I'll send you a picture. I can probably long, bro? You added this long, bro? Uh, no. That's what but... I was saying. That's what I was saying. <laughs> Sean's hair's longer, though. I can't say anything about the hair. Sean's got like double the hair I have, bro. Well, uh, hmm. Let's, let's see. I don't know if it, this is it at its uh, its longest, but here, here's what it looked like. I can show you that much. Um, so I was playing, I was playing a character with, the, with this beard, uh, you know, the Simon Wheeler, and then, uh, and then I, oh, wow. uh, I, I told the the Jumping Frog of Calaveras County story in that character with that beard, and then I shaved it and kept the mustache and played Twain, bookending, listening and leaving the story and narrating the uh, proof of concept, the introduction to the show, and just self-produced that in my own home That's awesome. with the hope of, of, you know, getting that show produced. Did you, oh, uh, when Jeffrey. you were playing Mark Twain, did you, did, did you, uh, did you use the opportunity? <laughs> Sorry, did go ahead, what? No, we both are going, you go first, first. Did, did you use the opportunity of playing Mark Twain to uh, chain smoke cigars all day long? Uh, you know, I like a really good you cigar. you got to get into character. So oh, yeah. And and luckily, uh, I came into a box of uh, Havana's uh, just beautiful cigars that I enjoyed. Um, I don't, it's funny because I like a few puffs. I love the taste. And but I don't last for a whole. I usually like the ladies' cigars that are like like that size. Um, right. Those I'll, I'll, I'll like for while walking around the block or something like that, and, and can smoke a whole one. But the, the big ones, it'll take me several days to, to smoke one, which is good because I don't want to really. You don't want to stumble around the block. Yeah, I smoked more when I was a kid, you know. Um, but yeah. 
it's been really wonderful. Twain, um, I was going to be a, a, a guest to Twain's uh, second home in, El, or, in Elmira, uh, New York, where uh, they have the ongoing education and museum and so on and so forth. And because of the pandemic, that got postponed or canceled. But they still had me on. Um, and you can find me on, on their website, The Trouble Begins, talking about my road to, to developing and, and playing Mark Twain. I, I played Twain in a PBS movie called uh, Dreamland, Mark Twain in Jerusalem, where I actually went to Jerusalem and retraced the steps that Twain took in 1867 on his, uh, it was the first commercial cruise ship from New York to the Europe and highlighting a trip, a visit to the Holy Land. And Twain sponsored, basically financed that trip by writing letters five a week to these five different newspapers. When he got back, he bought them all back and compiled his first book called The Innocents Abroad, uh, which was really the first American travelogue. And with Twain's attitude, he's a real he's really kind of snide and angry at all the hypocrisy of the religious zealots that he was on uh, on board with who would who would chip away at at these relics in the holy land to bring home to their churches and stuff and anyway there was it's really a wonderful narrative and i've learned a lot about twain i didn't know much about twain when i went to audition and the director just loved me right away and gave me the the role and I studied quick, you know, and, and uh, as time has gone on, I've learned more and more about him and his life. I think I now own probably over 40 books that either he wrote or about him. Wow. And it's uh, pretty fascinating. You know, reading his autobiography, he, in his will, it was stipulated that they not come out until 100 years after his death. Because he loved telling it like it is, no hold barred for the truth. And people like Bret Hart, he, he, even though his name is associated with Bret Hart, he was pissed, he was angry at Bret Hart because he knew that Bret Hart had a, a wife here in the States and another wife in the UK. And he had uh, supposed to write a book with Twain and Bret came and stayed with him and just drank all his booze. And, you know... <laughs> Anyway, that's a fraction of the different things that are revealed in these three volumes of each or probably five to seven hundred pages each of his autobiography. Who's who's a prolific writer he was. Yeah, he's uh he's from Missouri, so I know a lot about him. I've seen his uh I've seen his uh channel at home out there in like Hannibal. It's like pretty tiny. And then like uh I seen that fence, it's like they had up that fence he, he talked like uh yeah, he talks about in the paint or that I are for that Tom Sawyer story, I think. Where like Tom Sawyer talks somebody to paint the fence, wherever that fence is still there, I think. And then like everything in Missouri is named after him. Like there's, he has a forest, he has a lake, he has like I mean, he has like so many like. Uh, I mean, growing up, I was just incredibly jealous of Mark Twain, and I, I was just like, I was like, I can't believe everything's named after him in this in this state. I was just like, well, I was, hate and I looked into his work, and I'm like, I got into it more, you know. He was a really the very first, I think, superstar humorist in America. Fair. In America, in America. There were other humorists, but they they didn't uh, either last because they died or they didn't have his his uh, confidence. You know, he was a journalist for many years, and he, you know, he has such a colorful history, and he had so many brushes with death. He, even as a kid, he got sick several times, and 
was on death's door and always managed to fight his way back. And then he en enlisted in the Confederacy. And after a couple of weeks in the Confederacy, uh, uh, he and his buddies came across a dead Union soldier and they were like, this is too scary. And he went AWOL and came out West and then started working for his brother who didn't pay him for after a year's work. <laughs> and then he tried silver mining and he tried gold mining and he tried investing and he lost his, he, he had very bad judgment, it seems, in investments, even later on with the printing press that he invested in, he, which bankrupt, bankrupted him several times. But he wrote for different newspapers, and that's what took him over to Europe to write his first book, basically. And from then on, he actually on that cruise, he met the brother of his wife, who was already in society up in New England. And... And he kind of got set up through her fortune, through her family, and was it had the comfort of of writing the stories. And he drew on his life experiences, life on the Mississippi and roughing it uh, in his days uh, going west. And you know, it's it's uh, uh, he, in my opinion, lived several lives. In fact, after his beloved daughter died and his beloved wife died, uh, those who knew him well think that Sam Clemens kind of died. And and only Mark Twain stayed alive. He was more of a an icon of you know a, a, sort of a, his alter ego that kept him alive. It was a very interesting uh, reading, just lots and lots of wonderful writings on him. And that's why I think the Mark Twain studies, both uh, in Elmira and up at his home in uh, New Hampshire, is it New Hampshire, Connecticut? Um, they they have constantly scholars and gazillions of contributing uh, to their scholarly thoughts based on Twain's writings and uh, controversies and so on and so forth. It's really wonderful stuff. He's such an interesting been, character, man. Yeah. I'd say I, that. I found that uh, my life's path has, has brought me into enriching my own life by falling into opportunities of playing people. When I, I didn't know much about Laurel and Hardy, I'd seen them as a kid, but when I auditioned to be Stan Laurel at Universal, I started studying, when I got the role, I, I started studying vehemently, uh, adamant, uh, a lot, <laughs> and learned, <laughs> learned about his genius. And not only simultaneously learning how to portray the character that he made famous, but also about his genius in, in writing and developing gags and editing and directing. And Hal Roach only gave him one credit. So uh, he had life, lots of life struggles. Um, and then the same with Charlie Chaplin a year later, and then with Groucho Marx a year after that. And then, of course, with Wayne, I also played Larry Fine. Of course, with this hair, I'm going to be Larry. Hey, you cut that out. I didn't mean it. Anyway, Larry Fine of the Stooges. And, you know, I've been uh, very. Uh, unintentionally gifted with uh, learning, with education, because of the roles that I've been cast in, especially now with, with historic reenactment. Um, I learn uh, all the time by doing this immersive theater, and, uh, and I feel very blessed, even though it makes much money. Nice. Well, it's, it's all about the art at the end of the day, right? I mean money's money's good but 
I mean, nobody, nobody gets into art in the beginning, just, you know, for money or, I mean, most people don't. Uh, let, let me see if I can uh, share with you here. Here's a, uh Oh, I, I pushed the wrong button. Okay. Here's, here's what I, I look like playing Twain. That's pretty fucking convincing. Oh, wow. That's pretty good, man, honestly. Nice. Val Kilmer did this, like, Twain thing, too, didn't he? Yeah. Like, he played the Twain one-man, or the Mark Twain, like, one-man show kind of thing, too. Yeah, I know for the rehearsals, which he was staging at the Actors Gang, I think he was charging 90 bucks a ticket. And I was like, I can't afford to go see it. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought that was I thought that was cool that the Kilmer was redefining him. I don't know if that show ever went up or not. I, I toured or something. I don't know though. But uh, but, uh, but uh, so what? Wh where can is yours on video? Like online or something? Uh, I, I checked I that. Out. What I'll do? How do I? How, if I send you links or stuff, do you uh, share them somewhere? I can. Yeah, if you want me to. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll um, I'll send you links of of like the thing I did for the the, the Twain House and. Uh, the, at least the trailer where you can get the uh, Twain PBS movie that I'm in. Uh, yeah, I check all that out. I, I checked it out for sure, man. Like, uh, cool. That's interesting. What, what kind of movies are you trying to make? Like, also, like on top, just like creatively, like what kind of movies do you think you're on? What kind of characters are you want to play? I guess. I've in recent years uh, been getting more dramatic roles, which is great because you know uh, I love doing comedy roles and using. My years of study as the different comedic Hollywood classic characters uh, and doing improv. You know, I've studied improv and practiced and done shows with everyone from theater sports to Second City for many years. Uh, but the uh, dramatic roles that I've been getting, one of them, uh, I, I got cast as a, a very depressed, uh, disabled older guy who has epilepsy who takes this adolescent girl who's being abused in the foster care system under his wing and uh it oh, it was a real challenge because you know i had to i had to have a grand mole epileptic seizure as this character i had a metal plate in my head from a car wreck injury and uh, my my uh wife my character's wife had deceased had died so he was very depressed over that and and to live in that character's shoes for a month while shooting and then when the little girl is, i have to push her away because all my friends uh people like vernon george wells who plays my best friend in the film uh says you know it looks bad you having this girl visiting you at your apartment they're going to talk you're going to be put in jail and so i have to get my key to the apartment back from her and and so you have to go back to your abusive foster care parents. And uh, and when we're shooting that scene, because I, you know, I'm an improv actor and, you know, mix the script with my instincts. Um, I flew back as soon as the door closed. She left. I flew back as the character onto the floor and had an epileptic seizure. That's and, it, it, and it wasn't in the script. But the, luckily, the director followed me with it, and it and it became one of the more potent moments 
in the film when i saw it on the big screen i was like oh shit god poor guy <laughs> and i i also remember and seeing it i cracked my head on the bar stool that i hit that pain kind of kind of came back to me when i saw it on the big screen too <laughs> but nonetheless uh luckily the director kept with me and, and caught it and it stayed in the film and then sure enough when the girl goes back and gets abused by the uh the foster care parents uh you know she she uh she doesn't make it she uh, commits suicide and that sends my character over the edge and he becomes her avenging angel uh i'm not advocating violence on film but in this case when my character takes out uh the uh the gang head who who uh rapes her with the with the gang and then foster dad who's been raping her you know i guess it was justified violence and then my character does himself in too so now you don't have to see the film <laughs> but it was it was really great Down. for me to to do a dramatic role like this to do a tragedy to do a shakespearean tragedy that's kind of be, I, I, there's certain there's a certain kind of person that wants that move to watch that movie but like that terrified me even hearing it. I, I was like, that is super dark. And like, I don't even want to think about that, you know? <laughs> but it takes like a good actor to be able to play that role. And I think like a lot of people are kind of into that. Like, like they want the, they want all kinds of escapes. And I think that's definitely one of the escapes they want, you know? But like, I'm just like, that's crazy. That's crazy to me, man. I'm like, life's well, nuts and nothing, you know? That's like I think crazy. The, the guy, the writer, director actually worked in the foster care system and he wanted to get messages a, a morality tale out there Brian and that's good yeah i mean i think that's all arts relevant i think and i think that's a that's a kind of a deeper kind of thing and that's crazy that's like i mean that's just a lot to, to take in man it's like a, and to play that role has got to be crazy you can you can find it on i think amazon it's called savior of none that's crazy. You're gonna have me watching that, but I'm, I'm gonna be uncomfortable the entire time. I feel like, like you're gonna have me, like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm probably gonna watch that just because you like you're, you're talking about it on here. But, but I mean, that's just like I don't know. That's a lot, man. Yeah, it's a heavy yeah, premise right there. Very, yeah, very happy cool. to have the dramatic roles. I'm, I love doing the one of the recent shows I did uh, was the stage adaptation of the Fisher King. You know, uh, Robin Williams. Uh, made the role that I played famous uh, Perry and that was incredibly rewarding in that I got to meld the comedy and the and the drama and the seriousness because he's he's mentally uh, he's disturbed he's he's very depressed because of uh, his character's traumas that he's gone through and has these visions and he's uh, lost and he finds love in the middle middle of this crisis of being lost he he falls in love and and this jeff bridges character uh, you know helps him through it and and to to step into such an iconic role that rob williams made famous was really a challenge and we i tried very hard not to be robin but he owned that role so well that it actually came through sometimes people said oh god you were like robin there and i was like no <laughs> Uh, but it was it was incredibly rewarding to find the pathos to to do the comedy to do the drama to have the success with it it was a brilliant little production that was mainly a one-off to raise money for the homeless and for animal shelters so it was uh a, a kind of a win-win there and then uh shortly before that i was in uh, uh, a production of Young Frankenstein, the musical, as Igor, 
And, uh, you know, that was rewarding for me because when I was a kid, when I was 14 years old, I met Marty Feldman on the set of Young Frankenstein. I happened to be passing where it was shooting. I'd met an extra whose mustache was falling off. And he he said, oh, thank you very much. He said, who are you? And I said, I'm an actor. And he says, really? You want to meet Mel? I said, Brooks, yes. <laughs> and he took me wow, right to the cool. set. And the first person I met was Marty Feldman. And that was very cool because, you know, uh, I was a big fan. And then... Yeah, Mel Bruce he, is huge, man. That's crazy. Oh, and, and my introduction to Mel was, Mel, you want to meet this kid? He's an actor. He says, I got no time for kids. <laughs> <laughs> and, and years later, my Marx Brothers team auditioned for Mel uh, for Robin Hood Men in Tights. They were supposed to be in that big banquet scene. And I was... Were you in that movie? No, uh, I was okay, I was friends with Dom DeLuise and ran into Dom one night with his best friend and Bancroft, Mel's wife, and Mel at the silent movie house. And Dom at the intermission said, oh, Mel, you got to meet this boy. You see him as Stan Laurel, Charlie Chaplin, Groucho Marshall. You think they're there? And I said, oh, Mr. Brooks, we actually did meet uh, my team audition for you for Men in Tights. And he goes, oh, I remember. You guys were good. I wanted to cast you. But the actor playing Don Corleone wanted too much money, so I had to cut your characters. It's at that point that I realized it was Dom DeLuise who played that role that caused us to be cut. So I just turned around and started strangling Dom. You know, it was, it was <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, so so was I did Young Frankenstein, and then I did an immersive uh, piece called The Speakeasy, where uh, you had to check your cell phone at the door. It was a live immersive theater piece where you come dressed in your 1920s outfits, you and your date or whatever, and and you check your cell phone and you're immersed for the next three and a half hours in this environment that has a nightclub and a, a, a casino and the boss's room and these backstage areas with two-way mirrors and stuff. And you can see all these different, 35 different performers going through a 150-page, oh no, it was a 1,500-page a script um, well, all these different scenes and all these different actors having interactions. There's murder and there's rape and there's a comedy. And and uh, I played a vaudevillian who's at odds with his, his partner. So on stage, we're doing classic comedy routines and singing and dancing. And, and then when we're backstage, you can see us through a two-way mirror in the dressing room and we're at each other's throats trying to kill each other. You know, it was, it was a really great concept show that wasn't sustainable, but nonetheless was a huge success for a short while. <laughs> that's crazy. That's just that's crazy. The speakeasy. So yeah, I've been I've been very fortunate and and love the different dreams, uh, theatrical dreams that I've been a part of to help people make their films. Or so I coach. I coach actors and I I coach writers, and I help film like filmmakers as I can. Yeah. So you, but, sorry, Sean. Well, I was gonna say, but you but you don't live in L.A. You live up up by Yosemite. You say. Uh, that's right. That's because it's the only place I could afford something. Right. Well, yeah, LA is fucking well, ridiculous. Be, how, how, how do you coach? Do you just coach online? I will coach in person if you know I can um, arrange it. I'll go to San Francisco or Los Angeles, wherever I'm needed. Uh, right. I'll, I'll do a weekend intensive. Sometimes I'll do a series of classes if I can make that work and have enough signups. Otherwise, I do a, a lot of uh, coaching virtually. I have a handful of uh, actors, actresses who who uh, I help them with their auditions. I have a handful of writers. I help them with their scripts. 
one uh, one friend, uh, I helped him with his script, and he's really given me a lot of credits, winning lots and lots of film festivals, script competitions right now. So I'm very proud of that. Um, yeah, I do what I can. Then, you know, the pandemic turned everything upside down. I had huge losses, things shutting down, shows, shows fan cons, uh, gigs, all sorts of things disappear, evaporate. Things are trickling back. Yeah. So I'm climbing back. <laughs> Let's stretch together. <clears throat> yes, especially in California, things trickle back a little slower than the rest of the uh, of the country too. It's it's. I'd say. It, you froze up. John, come back. Oh. He was going to say it's more expensive here and you get paid less and it's a struggle. No. Okay. <laughs> well, Anthony, it's just you and me now. <laughs> I, I got to go, man. No, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, I don't. I, yeah, I guess he froze yourself. Uh, that's I know, crazy. I took, over, I took over your show. I don't know. Am I doing too much? Do you want to no, you put some pizza on? Oh, yeah. Yes, folks, you too can have a signed autographed Pizza Hut foil. Go to jeffreyweisman.com. You can write me and I'll autograph photos or Pizza Hut foils or action figures. Gosh, I get to do my own commercial here. <clears throat> what happened to everyone? I think I'll sing a song. <laughs> I, I just thought it was funny to put you on there, man. I was, just, I just, I was about I to was, sing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll let you hang on a boat. I, I mean, <clears throat> the guy who wrote this song was deaf. He couldn't hear a word. This is the verse. This is the verse. But he knew all the rules he did. And that is why he wrote the first verse. The first verse. verse. Ugh, sweaty tongue. The bird who wrote the words was as crazy as a loon. There's nothing to this song but the tune. And this is the chorus of the song. This is the chorus you're hearing now. Make up the words as you go along. Because no one pays attention anyhow. Tra-la-la. Um-dee-dum. If you want to, you can whistle you get, or hum. When you're did you singing get booed off to your friend. No, no. When you left, I just gave the screen to him. <laughs> I saw Wait, what? When you left, I just gave the screen to him. And he was like pulling out the, like the movie and started singing and stuff. This oh, okay, is the chorus once again. Tra la la la. He rose, so I saw you. Yeah. A rooster is different from a hen. Have you ever sharpened pencils with an axe? Sweet Adeline, sweet Adeline. You're the kind of a girl that men forget. Here's the part everybody recommends because it comes just where the chorus ends. Bravo, bravo. Thank you. After that, I, mean, I, thought, I, was, I thought you were like, fuck it, I'm out. Dude. It's thrilling for you, John. It's good to have you back. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I appreciate that. This Arkansas Wi-Fi isn't the best. You know it's bad when Missouri Wi-Fi is better, you know? Yeah. Oh, thank you, Chris. Yes. Chris, give me a bravo. Hey. I love this. Looks so like how does one get a song in the front of a film? Well, you... you have a uh, generally probably an agent uh you know i'm i'm not 
not sure exactly, but I imagine you need to have a, a connection there in Sean's Hollywood. Like Spider-Man uh, soundtrack. Like, I think Sean's on a couple of soundtracks. Like, would you? Uh... We're on uh, the Spider-Man Two soundtrack, and we were on the the original Punisher movie soundtrack. Not the early '90s one, but the the early 2000s one. That was all set up. With Nicolas Cage. What's that? With Cage. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, Why are you laughing nervously? Like both of you guys like did dope shit. You're like, like I don't know. Uh I don't know. It's just like you're like, like you're afraid to say, that was a good movie. I wasn't gonna make fun of that. that you talking that's what you're talking about the two thousand three punish. Is that is that the is one that you're the talking one? about? I don't I I'm not on the I, soundtrack. Dude, I have I no know. idea. I, I what? I said I'm not on the soundtrack. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I just I just see movies on TV sometimes, man. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I you know I, I don't I haven't seen the movie in like to almost to tell you who, who's in it or how it goes or whatever. But I know that the way that that it came together was all, all you know management style, you know uh, record label style connects. Hooked up the Spider Man two thing, and it was our, our it it was a source that hooked up the Punisher thing. So. Nice. Definitely do on your own. You know, you gotta get a hustle. You gotta you, you gotta have somebody in the Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> there are different You uh, sacrifice everyone you love, and then uh, you join the Illuminati. You're a billionaire, and uh, you're in Back of the Future too, and in a rock band. Poof. Exactly. That's how it happens. Now I got this uh, podcast, and it's how I'm levitating over St. Louis right now. Also, <laughs> <laughs> we're about to jump in the water at the end of the show, probably. I don't know. Looks, looks nice, dude. You'll you'll probably hit ice, I would imagine. Not not in this background. Yeah, yeah it looks warm there. It looks real nice. It looks a lot. It looks less. You don't even see the crime. Like you, you can't even see any crime back there. It's like a bedroom. <laughs> it looks safe. Well, yeah. yeah, it's like uh, we're on the Illinois side of the river. I think that's why. I think I think that's even worse, dude. Saja. It is worse. It is worse. That's where I met you at, actually. Well, no, I met you at Stu. That's the second time, yeah. I was going to say I met you there, but I didn't. That's why. I, I spent some yeah, quality no, time. In Saja? I, uh, I worked at the, the Six Flags in Eureka. That's right. Summer, yeah, and uh, spent so time at, at and and saw. I know about those clubs on the east side of the river. <laughs> <there>, yeah, <laughs> Sean played yeah, right? uh, John oh, yeah. Goodman over there. John Goodman. What's that? I, I I know a couple clubs that John Goodman liked to go to over there. That's all. That's funny. The strippy kind, huh? That's right. So. I just got gifted some cards that I'm, you know, these came from. You're the Segway King, Jeff. Brazil. <laughs> All these fantastic artists uh, doing a set of Back to the Future. I don't even know if these are sanctioned by by Universal, but they're fantastic. And I'm on I'm on one. Oh, that's great. Uh, that's awesome. I need some point cards. From Latin America. I need, I need some, some some playing cards myself. I like the, I like that hustle. It's, it's a strong hustle. 
those look those look quality right there. And back, and back to Sean, Jay, Sean plays those clubs over there. Like uh, uh, maybe one of those clubs John Goodman likes. I think I think Sean plays uh, music over there. It's true. Yep. Yep. I've, I think I'm levitating over. I think right I played. Now. Nice. Nice. I I'm pretty sure I played times, dude. It's it's definitely a an, an old haunt. Yeah, it's like a it's like a factory, three strip clubs, and then a music venue. And and uh, I think there's a dispensary over there, and there then that gas station. That's there about it. Yeah, dude. I think I bought like five dollar lunchables one day over there because I was hungry and I was just like, and like lunchables are like five bucks at that gas station. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna go broke on this. When we played there, hung out. I think I think you showed up with lunchables. That's the time <laughs> I got RV. Yeah, I think I, see time. <laughs> I think you I think swung by that gas station and got them there. So yeah, I was starving, man. Like they, yeah, they're like You're five right. bucks each. I'm like, I just spent fifteen bucks on Lunchables. Like, like, who do I think I am? You know what I mean? Like, who do I? Think? <laughs> Baller, dude. Yeah, dude. I was like, I'm, I'm not this guy. <laughs> I should, should be buying some dollar food. You know? That's where I'm at. That's funny. Stay away from the gas Wait. station at night. <laughs> Dude, that well, whole area at night. I'm going to go grab me some dinner. Um, I wanted to just give a shout out to, uh, there were a few people who ha had earlier on, uh, like Janie and uh, uh, who was that? Someone else had said uh, said hi. Anyway, hello to everyone that we didn't say hello back to. And, <laughs> and if you guys, you know, have... Back to the friends in your family or friends that want a, an autographed picture, uh, I can be reached through my website, you know, jeffreyweisman.com. And there's an email button there. And, and uh, I'll send you the, the what's what's available that I can sign and pay postage and, and a, a small fee. And, and you'll have a hard-to-get autographed photo. How much are they? I'll buy one. Or a, or a Pizza Hut wrapper. How much for uh, a pizza wrapper? Uh, a pizza hut wrapper for for twenty five bucks. Sold. Sold. I'll, I'll buy. I'll buy. Yeah, I'll buy one of those. Those are cool. Yeah. Yeah, you sold. You made twenty five bucks in this podcast, bro. Lucky, <laughs> lucky, <laughs> you lucky bastard. Mars needs. <laughs> Mars, Mars make needs shit. <laughs> I'll uh, buy a gold record off you, Sean. Well, thank you for having me on, you guys. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for uh thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks Sam for me a trading card. I have to I have to also show you one last parting parting gift. Um the dude Ian Robinson over in England. See if I can get it to work. He made a replica of the watch that no the battery's dead or something, but he made a replica of the watch I wear is old George McFly hanging upside down. It's That's like awesome. wow, what an incredible gift. Thank you. I think he he likes it. How much? I, how much? How much for this? You could afford it. Just, just oh wait, there's it. a price. On it. Uh, <laughs> or just stay by and step off. <laughs> it's just like it turns into a bidding war with other people watching. The 48 people still watch. You're like, right, bidding on, bidding on all the stuff. <laughs> Auctioning off his collection. 
Yeah, I was thinking about that. You know, I got I got the the script out the other day with all the rewrites and everything, and I don't know that many people even have ever seen all the rewrites. And and you know, with the two, the script is about this thick, and then there's a bunch of rewrites that's this thick. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about auctioning that off. I wonder what you could get for it. But uh, you're you're making me think more about it, especially when these lean times are upon us. But uh, don't raise your pizza wrapper autograph on prices. You got to party it up. Yeah, <laughs> with with the the requirements. Uh, <clears throat> well, I, I hope you have uh, a great tour with your band there, Sean and and Roger. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, hey, no problem, man. You have a good one, man. Enjoy your dinner and stuff, and and yeah, check yeah. in with me again, and and I'll see you in the future. Sounds good, bro. Well, that was uh, that was Jeffrey Weissman, everybody. Yeah, that, I, I I'm a big Back to the Future fan. That was a that was a good uh, that was a good movie, man. All three, all, all sure. three of them, honestly. But uh, really? I'm definitely getting that autograph uh, pizza wrapper. I think. Like. I may watch too. Did I watch? Cool. You know, you know, you'll sell it. You know, like he was saying, uh, I don't know. I, I when he pulled up that pizza wrapper, I'm like, I'm getting one of those immediately. I'm like, I'm I'm just I already know I was getting that. Hell yeah, dude. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to check out that Western at some point, too. That's, that sounds like a we're watch. Dude, yeah, it was good. A lot, a lot of people, uh, uh, Jane Dickinson said, great show. Uh, she's right. It was, uh, it was a great show. <laughs> well, you're right. Uh, Chris Zumal said, good show, y'all. Chris is also right. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people watching have good opinions on podcasts, I think. And uh <laughs> Thanks again. Good time. <laughs> These are positive comments, man. We got a lot of positive comments. That's right. Right. Should we play that vaccine uh, thing? Should we play that, that that video before we get better? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> stick around. Stick around if you want to talk about it after. But I'm gonna play it right now. Uh, and you disappear too. I don't care what you do. I would say you're a free man. Play it, this intro because it's funny. Um, you guys watching? There's still people watching. So, play this. Probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Now that's back from high school algebra. But let's let's take a look. Uh, first, we've got population. Now the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. You've invested $10 billion in vaccinations over the last two decades, and you figured out the return on investment for that. And it kind of stunned me. Can you walk us through the math? Over a 20 to 1 return. So if you just look at the economic benefits, uh, that's a pretty strong number compared to anything else. I think the numbers that you ran through were if you had put that money into an S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, you'd come up with something like $17 billion, but you think it's $200 billion. Here, yeah. Morning America is brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch, sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360, brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline, brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference, brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight, brought to you by Pfizer. Early start, brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. No. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer.
deserve. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the Press data download brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. Bill Gates' advice on how to combat mistrust in science at 60MinutesOvertime.com. Sponsored by Pfizer. You really need to get vaccinated. You know, COVID vaccines are now available for children five years and older. And the more people who get them... That was a short film I could post. It, it, I wish they could have it, it still trips me out that 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 great Bill Gates. Uh, he's like, like, we need to bring population down if we do a really good job. Reproductive health care and vaccines, we could bring it down by by fifteen percent. Like, like, doesn't make any fucking sense unless. Dude, yeah, yeah, he's literally saying by abortion, by hospitals killing you, and by the vaccine killing you, we can reduce the population. He's like right. excited to tell people. Like he just hangs out with like billionaires all day. It's like, dude, let's kill the poor. Yeah, let's kill the poor. And they're like, dude, we're gonna tell the poor they're gonna kill them. They're gonna love it as much as us. That's <laughs> like what well, it's, you know, it's crazy. Well, and what kind of mental gymnast that and to try and convince yourself that he's not talking about vaccines killing you? And yeah. Hospitals killing you. I mean, there's no way to 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 work around, dude. No, that's just crazy. Yeah, they're just like that's literal, just like evidence, <laughs> like of it. And it's just like I, I mean, he literally. I, I, I've literally, I've played that for people before, before that weren't, you know, uh, as suspicious of, of and and I've I've heard people try to be like, no, but what he's saying is that. This or what he's saying is that, but really, that you could chalk that up to, dude. It's it's clear. Nice. It's that's it. So yeah, it's really weird. because like basically he did the same thing with computers. So he 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 licensed an operating system, sold to everybody, and then basically did and then sold you an antivirus software after he infected all the computers also, and then and then like he's doing the same thing to humans except for creating them. You know he didn't create them, but he like but he but he's just basically like and then the that Pfizer thing that came out. Remember that like uh. That director that just came out was admitting that he was like mutating the virus to sell more vaccines. It's like what? Yeah, the Project Veritas thing. That's right. Yeah, that's where it came from. Yeah. But but I mean, if you if you have the eyes to see, you know, I mean, from the beginning, it was all keeps things at least are like kind of trickling out now. Now it it feels like, you know. Yeah, even a dumbass like me in Missouri sees it. You know, you know it's bad then. You know, I'm like, I barely graduated high school, and I'm like, they're lying. You know, (laughs) (laughs) same here, dude. Same. I tried to take the GED um, in my junior year of high school, and I signed up, and I I I slept through my my alarm, and I didn't go, so I had to finish high school grade by. And I mean, I could see through their shit. Yeah, it's maybe we saw through high school too. I don't know. <laughs> maybe we saw. <laughs> you where'd Probably. you where'd you already where'd you already sign? Like when were you signed? Like two years after high school? Uh, let's see. My deal when I was twenty. So yeah, yeah. I mean, couple couple a few years later. 
Yeah, if you gra- if you were supposed to graduate at 18, you, you were 20. That's crazy. That's wild to think about. Too, yeah, man. that level success that young. I don't even know. I don't know how you're on earth still. Like I, I would. That's like for to be signed at 20. That's in, in like that's crazy. Well, I, we've talked about that before. It, it, yeah, yeah. I did my best. I did my best myself, but somehow it didn't work out. So. No, that's cool. Well, now, now, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, now, yeah, now you're on a podcast, so even better than being signed at 20 years old and all, all the gold records. And now you're on a podcast. Not not just everybody with a laptop can do one of these or a cell phone, you know? It takes a. No. Special comment. I wish I had talent. If I had talent, I, if I had talent I'd be a musician. We're, okay, what do we got here? We got some comments here. We got. How about the bat on the 2020 quarter? That's crazy. So, what do you mean by it? Was there a bat on the quarter? I didn't. I don't use. I don't use. Change. Yeah, no. yeah. There's a. There was a, a. You know those commemorative quarters that that have like a different. The, the okay. 2021 had a bat. I remember back in the day, like we collected all those quarters when they first came. Like, look, look, this one says Georgia. You know, but like then I haven't done that in a while. Like I, I don't. I just fucking hand people shit if I change. Yeah. Like, you know. So I need to pay more attention to the world, I guess. It, but that you know, I mean, like, but but I mean, clearly that didn't come from a fucking bat, you know. I mean, it's that that was the the scapegoat narrative, but it, um, I mean, that shit was purposefully released, etc. You know. Yeah, that was a really weird time. I was like, they're like, they're like Jeffrey Epstein's copying a sex trapper. Everyone you loves a pedophile. You can't leave your house. I'm like, that's inconsistent. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> like it just made those. I'm like, man, we just found out all these people are billionaires from sex trafficking, and I can't leave my house. That's right. That was that was a weird time. Because because they care about you, man. You know, if my favorite little slogan that they had. If it saves just one life, you got to that line that line of thought to like any other aspect of life. Like you can't. You can't. It's too extreme. It's too insane. Dude, so I'm I'm like uh, for people I know this, but like for people like uh, uh, watching, like I'm I'm uh, in I'm in uh, in the suburbs, like uh, help my mom some stuff, which is kind of sick. So uh, this doctor, uh, this guy came in and he's got he's got a mask and he's overweight and he's just like giving her health advice. I'm like watching this happen and I'm just like, what is going on? And, like I'm like, you still wear masks in in, in 2023? He's like, he's like, well, it's part of the job. And I'm like, yeah, that's what the Nazis would say, I guess. That's like a we you don't even think about what you're doing. You're just like, well, boss told me to. I guess I'll do it. I guess I'll do what boss tells me. It was just like it's like I couldn't fucking imagine having that thinking process. And then and then like I I, I don't know, man. And then like it was just really is a weird thing seeing like these health experts just being the most out of shape fucking people I've ever seen. Like you're a rock star and you're in better shape than a health expert. That's insane to me. I mean, that's insane. Well, the the what what I've what I've noticed about you know. Doctors, nurses, in general. I mean, there, there's a lot of fields, but um, they're they're some of the most brainwashed people. Like they, you know, in their in their indoctrination to just listen to ears or or the the you know the accepted explanation um, for everything. You know, they don't think for themselves, dude. They just they they take what what's repeated verbatim they don't, don't even think about it and it's just because they're, they're the least critically thinking 
Yeah, no, I agree. It was, it was a weird. T- it was like they'll repeat back to me. It's like they say what like dumb people think smart people say. They're like they're, they're just like they're like yeah, but it's science. I'm like you just like named a subject. You know, you, like it's like, like a very vague subject, and and it's just like like you think I think science is fiction because I'm calling I'm questioning something. It was just like a, it was like the dumbest argument. I remember that. I'm still not over 2020. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I'm still not over that. You know, I, I'm a little bitter. I'm a little, I'm I'm a little bitter. I don't know, and, and I feel like this just needs to be solved. It's just crazy. It's just like it's like what is going like what they just like everyone just played Peter Pan for three years. It's true, and and you got it's insane the way that they throw that science word. They 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 say science, and you're just supposed to that's just supposed to stop in its tracks. Oh, science. Oh, it's like dude, yeah. what the fuck is science? I mean, very right. It's it, it's 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 just a. A method down. Yeah, it's like explain what aspect of science it is, and they can't. There's like fucking repeating headlines, and I even and like uh, I could tell because I only read headlines, so I know I know that they're repeating them back to me, and like <laughs> like I, I could just tell. I'm like, no, I already heard your opinion on NPR, man. Like I was listening to that earlier, and I heard heard your opinion there already, or, or wherever. It's like this mass, and anyone who had a, a, a secondary opinion, there's like show them up, and I'm like, how long have they been doing this? Like, you mean this is this didn't seem new to them. It seemed like they've been doing this for like centuries, maybe. I don't know. How long have they been suppressing anyone that questions anything? For a long, long time. But it, I, I feel like it's just, just become a lot more obvious now, um, which, which is good. I mean, I feel like, like a lot of people have been like waking up and coming around to that, that the last few years because shit's just gotten so apparent. But I mean, I, I think they've been control. I mean, history. History is a lie. I fucking uh, the nature of, of our reality. I feel like it is a lie. I mean, I, I just feel like shovel lies down our throats from the the time we're born, and and we just fucking you know uh, live our, our slavery. But more people are kind of to it, and hopefully, you know, the more that come around to it, the more there's a chance that it could be changed. Yeah, a lot of your music is about that. I'd say, like, when I, whenever I kind of like, uh, when when I started like talking stuff, I looked through your, like your newer music and stuff, and I went kind of like definitely through your catalog as far as like, I mean, I knew the hit songs, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to I didn't know any of your songs, but, but I, I knew a lot of them. But I I went through the last couple of years and stuff, and like a lot of your lyrics are about that, and like, a lot of your songs are about that. And I think it takes balls to kind of get that to people, and I think your fan base is. I mean, look, at, I mean, a lot of those guys are people that, uh, that you know. Uh, I, I didn't know them prior to doing this podcast. I mean, and pleasure to meet you all, but I'm saying like, uh, like they're pretty much on point because your lyrics and stuff. It draws that kind of person in, and like, I, it wakes up that kind of person too. It's just in the music, I feel like. like yeah, I mean, th- thanks for noticing. I definitely, I, I lost interest a long time ago in writing about, about like you know, I'm crying about this chick in my room, just whatever. Like that, that kind of music doesn't really appeal to me. And I, I just feel like, uh, you know, I, I, I sing my views on all this shit is is my music especially in this day and age when you if you just say what you think and feel on facebook it, you just get like you know sense of of people calling you an asshole and trying to argue with, with you and so the the best way to put this shit out there is is through art because it's it's cryptic in a way encoded dive into it and dig into it and it 
it it kind of gets less uh online you know yeah i kind of see like uh like the the early stuff like uh like silhouettes and like bottom the ball and stuff being like you're uh you're like beatles i don't hold your hand kind of music you know like that, that like that like uh that like uh, you're young when you wrote type stuff and then like your music like evolved like the, the like the white album and like whatever else like the like, no, i like the beatles a lot so just a metaphor but, like uh, it seems like music kind of evolved like white album and other stuff like uh, after that and like uh and a lot of stuff's pretty i mean pretty interesting for and, and a lot different than our, and then uh the music i heard like growing up i feel like i think it's kind of cool you evolved into like the uh the bill cooper of rock <laughs> like dude i appreciate that man bill, bill cooper is the best dude that he's he's like uh I, I actually, I, I spent like so much time. I, I just first I discovered his book, uh, "Behold the Pale Horse," and then I discovered. Did you know that he ran a a, a radio show out of his his compound um, called "The Hour of the Time"? Yeah, I was still on YouTube sometimes. And, uh, so. Yeah, yeah, it's dude, it's so good, and. Uh, he did like a forty series, uh, um, about basically you know these and the, the mystery schools and yada yada, and I uh, listened to hours and hours of his shit just back to back, back and paint and fucking you know just digest all of those ideas and and uh, it's some patient that guy pumped out. Too bad he's too bad they killed them in, in two thousand yeah. and uh Yeah, that's crazy to think about, man. Like shopping his mailbox, man. Like Yep. Definitely uh well it's it's crazy because um he was just like a shortwave radio station out of his house and when Bill Clinton was president he was dangerous man in America. So he you gotta know you're doing. You're 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 hitting a nerve when when the president of of the, of the country calls you for running a fucking stupid ass radio station out of your house. I worry about that constantly. Like I worry about that because like, I see like people like I see like people like that, and I, and I feel like Alex Jones is almost like CIA because of like he's allowed to exist still, and and like or, like he's in the game because like I mean, and the lawsuit seems like theater. Like he's like, oh, but it's because they basically they do this. Okay, when they deplatform him, form him, they basically tested the market to see how people respond to somebody being deplatformed and not having free speech and freedom of press, and then, and then now they're suing him even after robbing him of freedom of speech and freedom of press, and then, and they're testing the market for if they can do that to everyday people. From my perspective, because a guy. Like Alex Jones, if he was on point and actor, he'd have been shot years ago. For sure. Well, and, and even look at look at the the amounts of money that they're suing him for. Instead of like two trillion dollars or something, like yeah, it's a play. How, how is it's that even? Play. That's not even money. Like like how? What, what are you basing your fucking your 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 lawsuit on that amount of money? It's it's like you, you said, you know, uh, and even Bill Bill Cooper for being a, 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 a you know controlled opposition basically and 80% of what he says is 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 well maybe not 90% but a good portion point but then and it's like those little here and there things that he says they're just like huh you know t testing out deplatforming on him and then now test suing somebody for 2 trillion dollars for something that they say 
that's that's all that um makes me suspicious as well and like you said like if if he was really of a uh of a threat to them i mean he wouldn't be alive you know he, yeah, they would he, get really he'd be gone a long time they would have got him in 2004 yeah right my perspective right. i mean I mean, same thing with, I, I think it's just like disinformation. I think it's all theater and it makes people argue. And it's just like, and, that, and that's what it's about. It's just like this negative energy. They push this negative low energy and like, you're just supposed to hate yourself and everything around you constantly and, and just like be scared. And I don't know, that's, that's just me saying common sense. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, this is about, about like the, the true nature of this reality, but some people think that, you know, there are, here but on another plane that that kind of feed off uh you know negative energy given off by human beings and i mean i don't fucking know but it it very well could be i mean the the way that they that they um create and and, uh pit people against each other and and you know it something something out of that somewhere you know no, yeah, and, and like, and like, it's better to question things. Even if I'm not like right, at least I'm not just obedient to whatever's going on. Like, I, I at least like to like to question everything, regardless. And I love being proved wrong. I love being proved right. I love it all. And you know, I mean, I, I love the whole like like conversation. And I, I love if like someone could point out like any like the flaws or whatever. You know, I I just love the debate. You know, I love the love to learn. Man, I listen to the probably like, I mean, just like while I'm doing stuff this week, I probably listen to like four books already, and it's like Wednesday. You know what I mean, it's just like I've been killing it lately, just like trying to get that knowledge up. You know, I'm trying to. Trying to get a, uh, it's smarter, you know. You gotta keep learning, man. And like you said, I mean, I mean you never, you, you never, you never figure it out a hundred. You, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And but 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 you develop the ability to 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 see through bullshit and and things, you know. That's definitely like uh. Speaking of like, I was reading this one thing to, like this week, or, or actually, I was in an audiobook. I wasn't actually reading it. I was I was having someone read it to me, but uh, but uh, to be an audiobook. But they're talking about how like Jello came out and talking about like this new market of like free, basically how how if you offer like a free product, you can monetize off something else. And like what Jello did, because like the general stores were like, uh, you had to like ask for something behind the counter in a general store. You couldn't just like find it off a shelf as easy. Like most things, you couldn't use. And, and like uh, so, Jello was like an unknown product. I mean, obviously, we all everything starts off as unknown. So they would sell recipe books that called for Jello, and then they had everybody buying it from the from the general store. Like they they sold like fifteen. Like one year they sold they they, they gave out like fifteen million recipe books, and then it just returned sales. The paper's cheap, you know. Like you write recipe pretty right. cheap and pass it out for free, and that's how they that's how Jello became like a million dollar company, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. That's like something I learned this week. That's kind of interesting. That is. The- that is trippy. It's brilliant. Yeah, but you have to like that. They're talking about like how the free markets, how how this generation into the future is basically like Facebook and like social media. It's all free. Like they're basically saying like you can offer a product for free and monetize off something else. That's the best way to get rich right now, from my perspective. Like what that book said it was like interesting, at least. Like, yeah, now that's that's an old school example of that. What was that in the eighties or seventies? That was 1800s, I want to say. Like, Jell-O's old as fuck, I think, man. He's like, they used to crush bones up before to get that gelatin. And then Jell-O was like this first, like, uh, pre-made pack. It was like, turn of the century. It was like early 1900s, late 1800s. 
I believe anyway. I can let me look that up. So I'm not full of shit. Hang on. But I think I, I, I do no think, idea. I was just yeah. I was just I just found out two days ago. You know, it was like I was like <laughs> like it was just like an interesting like kind of thing, man. It was like uh, I'm gonna look at it and make sure I'm not bullshitting now. Like, I keep I keep typing hello. I'm like I have typed hello five times. Is it autocorrects it? I'm like that's what I was gonna say. That's that right there. 1845. Holy shit! I, I'm like, what is that? The 80s or the 70s? Yeah, like the 1870s. Was, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. No, it isn't. I mean, everything has to. I mean, like your band. I mean, your band all started from like, just your idea or your boys, you and your boys' idea. I mean, same thing with podcast, same with anything I've ever created. It's like it all starts from like just an idea. And I think like what helped what helped me get to that. I don't know. I don't know what helped you motivate you, but like uh, what helped me kind of motivate that is like the Steve Jobs video where he's like he's like everything around you is created by people no smarter than you. And I'm like, whoa. And it just like it hits you, and you're just like, oh man, anyone can make movies. Anyone could make whatever, you know. Yeah. A, a lot of it's just uh, being willing to get up off the couch and do it. That's very true, too. To, take a chance. Yeah, because I feel like I would have been like this. If I didn't choose like entertainment or whatever I'm in right now, or like like the the, the under the bottom shelf of entertainment, if I, if I didn't, if I wasn't doing that, I would tell everybody until I was 90, I could have done all this. I would have been like, man, I could have done it. And they be like sure dude sure and i want to be 90 like dude i did everything i said i was doing you know what i mean <laughs> like I, I just want you know what i mean it's like i feel like just like be way more complete even if it takes all my time even if it takes like you know what i mean everything it was it was worth it because i just would have been old telling them i could have done you know that's how i feel and it's that's what life's all about and i think you got that faster i couldn't imagine like i, I mean i feel like it's different to like i i had a I had to just job hop and bullshit my way through everything for like eight years longer than you probably. <laughs> like I feel like, like I just had to like do all this like dumb shit and pretend like could keep going to job interviews and like train for two weeks, get a check, go to another place. Yeah, you know, I just all this weird shit I had to do because I hated people and like listening to idiots talk to me. You know, so it was just like, uh, and I was like always like the smartest. I don't know. I felt like I was, like, the smartest one in the room and job hopping experience I had. And then like, and then like twenty eight, I had, like an article popped off and started comedy, and like then I was able. to, actually she has a career where it's like i mean these guys like you could have done that i probably i was not in this in the mindset as a 20 year old to do that though i don't think i think that i would have fucking just been crazy i was pretty crazy but i mean i was focused or else we, we wouldn't have been where we were i mean i i actually i, I joined my so i uh <laughs> you know always kind of had my eye on the prize uh, always super ultra motivated and driven you know but um didn't mean i i, I did i didn't lose my mind for a while there but uh you know i guess that's just that age is is just it's a rough age anyway and then if you if you money and and a little notoriety it it just it can it can tip you over yeah, like a young man in America, like mistakes like reckless sin as adulthood. There's no like rite of passage or anything to, to where like it's just like the, the the more fucking stupid you are, the smarter you feel type thing at the time. And then, and then I think that like I don't know, that's how I feel anyway. And then like by 28, I think I, I think I was able to be more balanced in my in 
I mean, dude, if I had a fan base of 20, I would have had a face tag. I've been telling everybody they're fucking idiots. Like, you know, I just would have been such a piece of shit, man. And like, I kind of am to a degree anyway, but I use it as like humor now. And I'm like more balanced and happy and like positive. And like, I mean, I mean, what, okay. Were you a guy that always knew you'd do it? Were you like a dude? Like, I'm just going to fucking do this no matter what. Or like, what, what kind of, like, what got, what do you think got you there at 20 more? So like, like, I mean, obviously you do work hard. I know that for a fact. But... Yeah. No, I mean, I was super driven. Stop me! Nothing's going to hold me back. I'm this is I'm going to do this, and uh, uh, I just I just knew in my in my mind that, that I would achieve, my, and then I did, and, and then it just ever, ever since then. It's See, I think you're like that George McFly, the guy who played George McFly. Like I don't think you realize how cool what you did is, and, and like just like hearing the guy talk about. Back to Future too. like his experience, I felt like was like held him back from like realizing how cool it was. And I think that maybe you have high expectations. Or, I don't know your situation. I'm not you to be honest. But like the way I perceive it is like is like I see you as a dude. That, like you don't you don't see how dope it is to do what you did. Like I don't think you do. For some reason, I don't think you do. I I think you no, like I, I do. I do, and I and I appreciate it too because so I've told you this before, but I mean, you know. Uh, what I had at one point into um, a career that I totally control in every aspect, and you can't have them if you're if you're up here still because you have too many managers and label people and and lawyers, and you have all these people telling you that, and it's you can't just buck all, all that off at that level. So, so my, my life now is just so calm and, and, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, I, you know, everything is self-managed and, and, and I just get to kind of want to do this now. Oh, I want to do that now. Now, and I want to do it like this and do it like that. And, and it, it's just, it's, I, I don't have, I don't have any complaints. Yeah, you seem like you got you have the best of both worlds from like kind of kind of knowing you personally. I feel like you got the best of both worlds. You have like the family life, and then you have like the rock star life almost. And I think that like that's that's the best of both worlds. And I think like if I, I mean, I kind of like the way you tour and stuff. Kind of teaches me a little bit as an artist, like how how the cycles you do and stuff. I, I feel like I learned a lot from you as an artist in, in that regard because you've been you've been touring for twenty years. I've been uh arguably touring for five you know it's, it's like i feel like uh and i feel like not even as big as you like I, I i my i put my tour flyers up the other day on my instagram my buddies are like dude that's crazy and i see a guy like you and i look at your tours i'm like yeah my tour's probably three times the size of this and, and and he's just like and he's like well that dude it will be you know what i mean it was just like it was just like, you know it was just like this like uh and i think i learned a lot of that from you to, to not be so complacent in like in like bullshitting my art Right, I see. I see a guy like you, like be multifaceted and have a bunch of like. Uh, I mean, you you paint. I mean, you're and, and they're profitable. I mean, but I mean, fucking how many Van Gogh couldn't even do that in his lifetime? And then, and then you have like you know what I mean. And then you have like um, music and other things. And, and like uh, you bring like the podcast too. I think you booked a lot of rock stars for us and stuff that you've known from tour and stuff. And I think just like it kind of motivates me to get going. I see other people do it because I'm already kind of an ambitious guy. But then I see guys like you that kind of pave the way. And like you've been you've been touring for twenty years, so why wouldn't I listen to a guy like you and touring? You know what I mean, like, why well, I would be a fool not to? Like, I I feel as if you know, and I'm, you know, I'm just kind of dipping my toes in the game a little bit. I appreciate that, man. That's that's uh, real, very kind of you. Yes, yeah, it's real though, and I and I think most people are idiots. So I I really I mean, it's a compliment. Like, I, think, <laughs> I, I 
and constantly disgusted by most people and their ambition. I like to be, <laughs> I got, I got like, like even their dreams sound small. You know what I mean? Like my favorite people are probably my grandparents. And my grandma was like, man, I wish I could have been first lady. I'm like, your dream wasn't to be president. It was to be first lady. And like, and like, you know what I mean? It's like, that's how I, that's like how I feel about most people though. It's like, it's like their dreams aren't even big. You mean like, they don't even like, like I'll hear their ideas. Like, man, I hope I can get a sandwich on Thursday. I'm like, that's what they sound like to me. It's like, you hope you get a sandwich. That's just implied, sandwich uh, uh that's how it sounds it's just implied you know it's like implied you're gonna eat good and do good things and where you're going it's, i don't know I, I just i just love the ambition man it's cool it's cool that you take the time to be on this stupid podcast and like a this little cell phone tv show and like uh dude but I'm, but I'm saying, it's, like, it's fun man it's fun to talk to you and it's fun to talk to uh interesting people from different walks of life every week you know it's so used to being uh the 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 one being interviewed and the interviews that I'm just like dying at how awful they are and and like it's it's fun to take that experience and and try to kind of like flip it around and and uh, ask people questions that aren't just killing them inside. <laughs> I yeah I felt that way when I asked your band name and I felt that way when I asked like uh, Jeffrey about uh, about the Crispin Glover thing. I feel like he's. You guys have been answering that for like the probably the same amount of time almost, and, and like and like uh, and I feel like it's certain things like I, and like and like it's just interesting getting other perspectives. Like I mean, I mean, no one wants to hear some like loudmouth, self-involved comedian talk about everything, you know. So it's good to have like a rock star's opinion on it, and like I uh, have like a guy from Back to the Future. We just talked to a guy from Back to the Future. That's like insane to me. Like, and that's just that's not the first time he's been on the show. That's like even crazier. I mean, that's just like. Like, it's just like, this is going the right direction, man. We got like, I mean, great musicians in the comedy. Like, Chris Umal kid played a song uh, on here last week. The song kills. It's like blown up. I mean, we got so many people just involved. And I just met him probably like that day, I guess, you know? I mean, I mean, I had him on Facebook or something, but I met him like that day. You know, it was just like good songs. I mean, that song's killing it right now. Like, I like it's getting decent traction locally and stuff. And then like, I don't know, man, just, like, the surroundings of this. That Demon Eraser thing was weird. That was the weirdest episode we did. That, that, that we were both on. That was weird, man. That was, that was pretty trippy. Yeah, I still fucking freaks me okay. out. I, mean, I believe, in, I believe in all that shit. So, yeah. Well, I mean, the the true nature of of this reality, nobody has it fully figured out. I mean, who knows where the line really is? But but I definitely don't count. You know, were you got? Were you looking at? Were you uh, grabbing your cat? No. No, my cat's not allowed in this room because he he eats plastic. Yeah, who doesn't and these days? You know, he'll eat like this shit, like like uh, plastic bags. Like yeah. if he, if he is anywhere near a plastic bag, all of a sudden you just hear that sound of the plastic bag fucking choking like big chunks of it down. So I don't know. He's suicidal, I guess. I feel like we're all eating plastic these days, though. He's just trying to be human, you know. Right. <laughs> so, he's he, he can't have McDonald's, so that's his way of of partaking. Yeah, man, it's like cats are awesome. Like I'm way if I was a cat or a dog guy, I'm neither to be honest, but like I would be way more of a cat guy. So I think cats are like selfish and weird like I am. And I think dogs are just like people pleasers like I refuse to be, you know. I and I feel like this like uh I thought like, hey, yeah, what's what are we doing today? You know, it's like just weird to me, like the dogs are the cats are just like at me if you want. I don't really care. You know, it's like I'm gonna fucking still be awesome. You know. And I may bite second too long. 
that's that's that I, I agree with you about that. I, I mean, I, I like those had cats and uh, the dogs are, are a lot of they're high maintenance, you know, care or leave you. Yeah, I've had like, all that growing up, whatever. I've never had that myself, like in my house, but I've always like my family's always had hell animals, like a parrot, a dog, all that. I'm just not much of a dude. Like yeah, that. I like I like clean clothes and like uh, only feeding myself. You know, like, uh, <laughs> clean clothes, man. But I clothes like fucking years ago, dude. It, it, the the cat hair just like interweaves with the, of the shirts and the hoodies, and it's like you know, happen when you have pets. So I, I I see you on that. Yeah, my mom's cat just does this purr thing, and I'm I'm like. You're trying to fake love through uh, through vibration to get on this couch. I could tell. I mean, I could just tell what you're doing. You're, you're faking love through vibration, and you think that I'm stupid enough to mistake that vibration as love. And I'm like, I'm like, you just want on the couch. I'm like, just say that. Just get on the couch. I mean, I'm not gonna stop you. You I mean it's like you don't have to fake love to get on the couch? It's just it's just like weird, and they're tricky, and they're probably smarter than me. I think they're smarter than humans, arguably, because cat, cats just live for free. They just like literally eat all your food. They, they make you want to. Like, man, I should go get that cat more. You know that cat that's been sleeping on my couch for years? I should probably fucking get him more food. You know, it's just like a weird, like, you would, humans can never pull it off. You know, a human can never pull it off. Dude, they get you to do it. It is pretty crazy. And my cats, like, throw up, like, all the time, too. They And and they, they like, let's say there's, like, a, an area, and then next to that there's, like, you enter a bedroom and then there's like carpet, but then next to that you threw down like your sweatpants. Like they're you're gonna throw up on your fucking sweatpants on the hardwood floor. You know what I mean? Like they, I woke up the other morning to my cat doing this like spin up and fucking like every he, he like spin a little bit and throw up more and spin a little bit and throw up more and it's just like dude, you're just trying to make this as, as difficult for me as possible. To clean that shit up. That's what it seems like to me. Like all the time with them, like, they must be mad about they, something. You must. I, I don't know. I said they. They're so petty. You know, like it's like they're just so they're petty, petty as animals. <laughs> they are. That's like dude, petty. That's right. <laughs> dude, they are. And then one of my mom's cats, like dude, as soon as you open the door, it, like runs and hides somewhere. Like and I always know it's hiding spots because I'm like, but 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 like it'll just run and hide in, like a closet or like under a blanket somewhere weird. And like he's so stupid, like he'll he'll hide his head under a blanket, but his whole fat body's like hanging out of it. And I'm just like, what are you doing? You know, it's like it's just so crazy to me. And he's like the epitome of like a scaredy cat. Like I've never actually met a scaredy cat before him. Like he like right. And he mimics that vibration of love. I'm like, you just you just know how vibrations work, and I can tell. And, you know I mean? and, like, and like, I don't know. I'm not going to like call it out, but I feel like I know that. You know, it's like. It makes sense, dude. I'm just like, you're making a weird vibration noise. And I'm like, that's crazy. You just, I'm like, you manipulate sound and stuff and, and vibration. I feel like they do that. I don't know. I said it 15 they, times. It's almost great. They know how to manipulate for sure. They, they get what yeah. they want. Yeah, look at the signs. They just lay on the couch all day. Like they're living my lifestyle. They're, 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 they're basically living my dream. Just to, you know what I mean? It's like yeah, yeah. It's, what it feels like. Sure, it's it's the ideal lifestyle. I mean, they sleep like twenty fucking a day, and then they fucking and they eat their regular food. They throw up all over your shit, <laughs> purr you into giving them temptation crunchies. You know? Yeah, whatever yeah. they want. You're like, take everything. You already got the house. Take everything else. I don't know. But, like, 
I like I, I work for I work for cats in the bank. You know, it's like it's like the only, the only reason I make money is to give the guys who print money money and give cats money. It's the only reason I you know I mean that's what it feels like right now. You know, it's like it's like here you go, cats. Like, dude, I I even have this one. Uh, he's he he's the one that like showed up at our our doorstep. Took him in. He was like a wild animal. You know, that's how they all and come. At first, it's he was crazy. at first. No, I'm saying that's how they all introduce. Everyone's got some crazy story about how their cat came in. They're like, they just knock on your door, like, "I live here now, dude. I'm cute." Yeah, that's, that's what he did. He showed up. He never, never fucking left again. And and we just were like, "All right." And we we took him in and 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 like like I was on tour. Um, I had to leave for tour the next day, and my, my wife like like nursed him back to health for a month while I was gone. Like. I got rid of all of this and all the shit he had. And then I come back and he's like all healthy and he's just fucking biting mother. He has bit every single person, like, like friends that come over, family that comes over. He put my grandma in the hospital. He fucking, she came to visit and he bit her arm so bad. She had to go to the hospital and spend the night. That's but yet, crazy. But yet, like you know, we love him. It makes that vibration, and, and we and we're lonely, you know. And he's like, Rrr. I'm like, wow, I'm loved. Whoa, I feel loved. But so like, yeah, that's what people do. And like, dude, he fucking like my my mom's cat's like buff too. Like one of them's buff, and like well, he's fat still, but he's buff. And like I I pick I picked him up to give him like some medicine because he was having seizures. I picked him up. His fucking ass just scrapes down my arm. And I'm like, I'm gonna murder your family. You mean it's like it's like just crazy. I, like he tried to scrape down my arm, like I'm like a goth kid or something. And I'm just like, it was just it was just weird. And I'm like, he's and I, I can't believe he got away with it. To be honest, I can't believe that cat was so strong. He was able to get out of this thing and then scrape me like once or twice. Dude, they're impressive creatures. Yeah, I'm like six foot tall. And it's like this big, and it's like try. It's like using this muscle. I'm like, how did you do that? Strong and they've got fucking built-in knives, you know. <laughs> that's yeah, that's real. If I had built-in knives, I probably fight better too. Yeah, that does make sense. Like, yeah. Uh, no, it's weird. I'm like, I tower over it. And I'm like, I, I figured it out now. I just grab my both his legs and I give him medicine if I have to. Because he'll have seizures and shit. I'm like, oh my god, is everything? It's just like I don't know. Life's so fucking fragile. It's insane. It's like you know what I mean. Like that it is. Well, I should probably let you go before it like, stop holding you ransom on this podcast. No. My, my phone is actually going to die here in a minute, so we should probably wrap it up. Yeah, you should. Conversation, uh, the cat conversation is is pretty enthralling. We'll end it on that low note. And uh, <laughs> and uh, thank you, everybody, for watching this show. It really means, I, as much as I joke about everything, it really means a lot that people will take time to watch this on their cell phone or whatever they're watching this on a Roku or on Spotify or whatever, however you're listening to it, um, dude, thank you. Because without listeners, this would just be me talking to Sean about cats. And uh, without the guests, without sponsors, without, without everything, this would just be a madman talking to himself. And arguably, Sean would join it. But, uh, but uh, no, seriously, thanks, everybody, for watching, listening, whatever you're doing. And uh, God bless you all. And uh, may all your dreams come true. Later.